a real conversation and some hard truths. Gangs, drugs, and guns, giving a voice to those willing to sacrifice. We have stories that need to be told. We have lessons that need to be taught. Protect and serve. Welcome to The Quiet Professional. Hey everybody, back again. It's Nathan Romus with you. And today we have Kelly Rose now. That's correct. Uh, Staff Sergeant with the Edmonton Police Service Youth Integrated Services. And we're going to be talking a school heavy topic here. And just in time for school to be back in session. And we're going to go talk about the school resource officer program uh, as part of our discussion. But uh, I'll give you a little bit of background on uh, Kelly, and he gave me permission to call him Kelly. <laughs> so, and start here with uh, Kelly is born and raised, uh, born and raised Edmontonian, and he's been a member of the Edmonton Police for over 27 years. He's worked in areas such as patrol, school resource officer program, professional standards, chief's office, and crime suppression, to name a few. He's done work as both a sergeant and detective in various capacities and is now the staff sergeant, uh, as mentioned with the Youth Integrated Services section. Kelly is a wife of 25 years and two children who are both in post-secondary school in Edmonton, which is very fitting for today's topic. So welcome, Kelly. Thanks, Nathan. Um, so let's start at the beginning where we kind of start with most of the guests. and. Uh, Tell us about yourself and how you got to where you are today. Okay. Well, as you've already indicated, I've uh, had a fairly varied career and uh, opportunity to work in a number of areas. And uh, you know what? I consider myself very fortunate. It's been everything I ever wanted in a, in a career. I have no regrets. And I think that's a key for anybody when you enter into a, a career that you have no regrets at the end of it. And I truly am nearing the end of it. I think I will finish my career uh, overseeing the school resource officer program. And so it's an interesting time. Mm -hmm. um, promised my boss I would come back after four weeks vacation and here I am. So <laughs> didn't quite uh, take the dive yet. So mm -hmm. we'll see how that goes. But you know what? It's, uh, it's a real privilege to be back in youth policing. Uh, it is a passion that I didn't know I had when I first started. I was lucky enough to be an SRO uh, just around the three and a half year mark. Went to one of the biggest high schools in the city and uh, spent just over three years there. And it was a turning point in my career. It was an opportunity to see that the majority of young people in the city are good people. Mm -hmm. I started my career downtown, started thinking that everybody that, uh, that we dealt with was indicative of the entire population. And I learned very quickly when I was at the school that all, all young people dress the same. doesn't matter if they're engaged in criminal activity or not. Mm. And uh, I learned very quickly um, what they tell you in recruit training, that about less than 5% of the people that um, interact with, or pardon me, 95% of the people that interact with police represent only 5% of the population. And so in a school of 2,000 plus kids, you learn very quickly who your main players are. And they're the ones that unfortunately you interact with the most because they're the ones that are doing the risky behavior. 
Um, as I said, I spent three years there. I had aspirations to go into canine. So that limited my time there. And um, as my career went along, I turned around, I ended up getting promoted. I uh, went to PSB, wasn't my choice, but a fantastic experience in the sense I worked with some really great people. And I learned a lot about the rules that govern what we do and just how people can draw on uh, allegations, their perceptions of things. And it was also refreshing to realize that the majority, the vast majority of our members do the right thing mm -hmm. at the right time. And unfortunately, sometimes people don't see things the way they truly are. So uh, that has benefited me my entire career since, both as a sergeant and as a staff sergeant, helping people understand that anybody can make an allegation against you. It's not the end of your career. Yeah. Right? It really has to be proven. Especially nowadays. Uh, people kind of come out of left and right fields, and no matter what you say or do, there's people are making allegations. But is this... So is policing always something that you wanted to do as a career or where, how did, how did you get that, that drive or what made you apply? So I actually have a geology degree. So I grew up in Edmonton, as you indicated, went to the U of A. I have a degree in specialization in geology. Um, was under the impression that this was something I wanted to do and I did it for a year, so it's good, but I didn't like being away. Uh, potentially from my family for extended periods of time. Um, as a I, geologist? As a geologist. So I was in well site or soft rock geology, so oil. Okay. And so give you an idea what that looked like is you would get a call. You would have to go out to the well site. So now you're living in a trailer, sharing it with an engineer, which was fine, but you had the smaller end of the trailer and you were basically cooking up uh, core samples, trying to find where the oil was. And so... It, uh, you understand what your role is. The problem that I didn't like was that I could be called out today and I could be gone for two weeks or I could be back in, in a day. And it really, to me, didn't um, appeal to me what it meant to have a family. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, that's always been a priority for me. Uh, my family is the most important thing in the world to me. And so knowing that I wouldn't be there for large periods of time didn't appeal to me. And uh, there was a member on the job who I knew started sharing some ideas and uh, sounded interesting. And so right out of university, I'd applied. And uh, it was at the time, so that was 1993. So it was a time where there was lots of challenges, um, but by 95, I was accepted into class and haven't looked back. No regrets. Mm -hmm. uh, I had multiple people ask if I really wanted to do that because I was giving up a six-figure salary for, I think I started at $30,000 a year. So <laughs> I said it wasn't about the money. It was about quality of life. Mm -hmm. And I can honestly say that although difficult at times, this career has provided uh, quite well for my family and I. Yeah. So, so when you said you started downtown, Yes. And some downtown patrol. Mm -hmm. And what was your career like starting out there in 95? Uh, it would have been, yeah, 90, 96 was 96. about the time we hit the street. So the summer of 96, um, I graduated and it was full on. Like mm -hmm. there's no time to sit back and watch. Uh, downtown was uh, blitz policing at the time. 
There was, I mean, you walked out the door, you could get a rest because we had all the drag bars and whatnot that were present. So you had to learn very quickly. And I was fortunate enough, I was in a great squad with some uh, fantastic people, and the majority of which are still on this job. Um, although Superintendent Palace just retired, he was my field training officer. And it was, we had a lot of fun. We had a lot of fun. We worked hard, a lot different than policing now, for sure. But um, really set me up for, you know, working hard and um, giving me ideas of what I wanted to do with my career, mm-hmm. you know. And then so school resource came up. Uh, it was something I was interested in. I've always had an affinity to work with young people. I'm the oldest of uh, three boys. So it uh, jumped into into that. I was fortunate enough to get on just after three and a half years on the job. So I was quite junior and it was something that lit a fire. And when canine didn't work out for me, um, promotion was kind of, okay, now what do I want to do? So I got promoted and then I waited. Mm-hmm. Pardon me, I spend uh, three and a half years in PSB because I knew there was going to be an opening in the SRO unit. So I got to go back as a sergeant. I was one okay. of two sergeants at the time. And so taking what I'd known or I'd learned um, and working with some really solid people, both as colleagues and as direct reports, really enhanced, was able to enhance what the SRL unit did. We, um, we implemented a number of things. Lockdowns became a big deal, especially after Columbine. Uh, so was uh, Columbine, when that happened, that had a major effect on Canadian uh police, but also, I guess, schools in general? I think so. You know what? It it changed the way um, for policing, how we responded to those types of incidents, right? Um, We started to, as an organization, we started to train uh, as a rapid response to those type of events. Obviously, with schools, they started to look at what they could do. Um, Even though we had SROs in the schools at the time, the direction was is you'll wait for a team before you engage mm-hmm. and so kind of difficult pill to swallow sometimes when you're the only person who's authorized to have a firearm for example in a school and so uh, lockdowns were implemented we started to see those type of procedures being developed and so by the time i got to uh, the sro unit in 2004 lockdowns were a thing and we continued to develop that um, the unit actually got the schools to uh, work with them to mandate uh, two to three per year. Mm. We all do fire drills, and the kind of the story is how many schools have actually burned to the ground, right? And so there was some resistance. There was resistance from students and, and staff who didn't think it was important, and understanding what happens south of the border it doesn't always happen here, but it can. Mm-hmm. And so we worked with that. We had. Uh, some members who were interested in a type of rapid response. And as police response transformed over the years, uh, we actually trained a number of members to become instructors in single officer response. And uh, two of those members went on to help with the training of the entire service. So a bunch of school cops end up being responsible for um, a change in direction within the whole organization. Mm-hmm. And as a result of a number of things that we did at that time, uh, 2014, we actually won the um, uh, Model Agency Award from 
the National Association of School Resource Officers, which is an international organization out of the United States. We were the first Canadian agency to do that. So um, pretty big kudos to everybody who was working on it. And it was just a real pleasure and an honor to be a part of that. I actually haven't heard of this uh, organization. So it's a, yeah, sorry, an international school resource officer program? Yeah, they call it NASRO. Okay. So uh, National North American School Resource uh, Officers Association. So this is um, during this time, you're a sergeant? That's correct. For the SRO unit? Yeah. And uh, we we're kind of talking briefly before uh, we started recording here. You are one of the few people who's had the kind of the distinction of working in a unit in multiple, several different ranks. So I thought that was kind of a cool aspect because you see it right from the, the ground level all the way through to what you're doing now where you're saying it's more of administrative and the, maybe dealing on the political side of things. Yeah, very much so. Um, you know, it's it was, it was something I wanted to go back to as a sergeant. Um, I did five and a half years there, tenure kicked in, so I, I had to move. And then when I became a staff sergeant, it was an area I always, like I said, I had a passion for. And I think for those of the members out there that understand what it's like to have a passion in policing, you want to stay there. You want to continue to work well. And I get the tenure piece. Um, so the opportunity to come back as a staff sergeant and to, uh, further assist with what they're doing, moving the ball forward, especially in a time like this, you know, there's lots of controversy mm-hmm. around, uh, police and schools, um, controversy within our own city, obviously with them to public. Say so yeah, controversy with the existence of police altogether, which is yeah. surprising, but yeah. yeah, you're not wrong. Right. And so. You know, the opportunity existed. The position was created out of uh, Vision 2020. And, uh, you know, I wanted to come back. I was fortunate enough to be selected to come back. And it's an exciting time. We've seen uh, the Catholic Board stand by our program. Uh, They've done some research on it. Uh, It shows that the perception is it's well-received by students, staff, parents, uh, the community at large. So that's good. And now we wait to see what the publics do. Um, they canceled the program in 2020 due to a lot of public pressure. Um, their board of trustees didn't really show a lot of support for the partnership that had been in existence since 1979. Mm-hmm. And they chose to um, suspend the program pending research. And so that's where we sit right now. It's interesting that they would, yeah, it's been around since the 70s. And they would take the position of, let's get rid of it while we try to study the program. In the meantime, we'll just have nothing. But it you know, didn't cause any harm or anything on the, the lead up to that decision. So it's just kind of interesting they would decide to get rid of it instead of just keeping it, do your study. And then if, if you're going to decide to get rid of it after, get rid of it. But um, is it true, too, that uh, the Islamic Academy on, like, they... I don't know if they have their own school system, but uh, the Islamic Academy on the north end of Edmonton, do they not have an SRO as well? Yes, they do. And so they're, they would be considered a private school. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, they are a very strong supporter of our program. And yes, they do have an SRO in there. So maybe we'll, well, let's talk about it now since we're already here, but um, then we'll kind of go back to talking about uh, what exactly the SRO program is and what sure. these officers do. 
because that would maybe be the start of it. But uh, I find it, I was reading some of the reports on this SRO program, and I found it kind of funny how the Catholic system has it, the Islamic Academy has it, uh, maybe groups that for one reason or another might be discriminated against are the ones who are supporting it, but the public school board is the one who chose to not support it. I just thought that was very interesting how right off the bat, you know, you kind of have something to distinguish you, uh, a protected group on religion or uh, ethnicity, and they're the ones who support it, but not the public school. So, yeah, you know what? I, I listened to some of the, um, the trustee meetings and um, I considered based on my experience of saying something. Mm-hmm. And and getting in, but I don't I don't think it was a forum for a police officer. Uh, my own personal opinion, um, there was very strong opinions being shared. There's very strong movement against the police. Um, you know, I I don't understand or don't know what the thought process was for the board of trustees or the superintendent of M Public Schools. Um, but I perceive there to be a lot of public pressure mm-hmm. for them to do something. Um, the Catholic, uh, Catholic school division came out right away and said, we support the program, we'll do our own research and then decide from there. Um, and the public school took a different approach. The unfortunate thing is, is that um, they did not have SROs, they did not have police presence in their schools for the better part of two years. Of course, COVID played a role in that um, as well. We, I mean, we don't need to go into that, the mess mm-hmm. that, that created. Um, but we still see, we still have relationship with a number of the principals. Uh, they still call uh, my sergeants uh, for advice on, on certain matters. They still reach out to neighboring uh, SROs who are in Catholic schools. So the decision wasn't uh, a unanimous one, clearly through from top down. Um, but we've kept track of the number of times they've called. And we know that in talking to them, obviously, if you have a police officer that works on a beat, you get a higher degree of service than you do with patrol because mm-hmm. patrol is covering a much larger area and your level of expertise and how to deal with certain things. And, and truly, when you look at the SRO program, uh, they're specialists in youth policing. Mm-hmm. So they understand what it what is needed. Uh, they build rapport with the youth. So if they're dealing with somebody, they ha- typically have an idea of what they're dealing with, what their background is, maybe what they're struggling with at home or socially and at school. Um, and they can work with them. And you know what? You can look at some of the research that has come out um, and where people are looking at one thing or another, but specifically charges, let's say, and how many charges. And I think they've used the term uh, school to prison pipeline. Yes. Right? Um, we'll definitely get into yeah. that. And, and, and you know what? I think what's missed in some of those um, presentations of information is they're only looking at one aspect. Mm-hmm. You know, um, what what is truly missed is the amount of proactive work, the amount of youth engagement that our members are doing on a daily basis to build that trust, that rapport, and that connection with all the youth, mm-hmm. regardless of their ethnicity, um, the racial background, anything along those lines. And it goes a long way to speak to what we see in the research that was conducted by the or sanctioned by the Catholic School Division. Very positive feedback overall. Are you going to please everybody? No. As we know throughout the city, there are people that don't like police. 
but we're still here. So uh, with that being said, maybe we'll start kind of at the beginning of the SRO uh, discussion. Can you tell us what is what is an SRO and what is the program? Uh, what's the goal of the program? Okay. So a school resource officer is a uniformed police officer who works in a school or two schools uh, presently. And their job is to work collaboratively collaboratively with the school administration and the staff to provide a safe learning environment for the students, a place where they don't have to be overly concerned about incidents and things that are happening, and also to engage the young people. I think every person remembers their first interaction with a police officer, Mm -hmm. good or bad. And so if you can have a positive impact on somebody, which might just simply be a hello, Mm -hmm. um, that's huge. And when you look at some of our um, people who are newcomers to, to Canada and some of their experiences with police in their country of origin, they're not good experiences. So if they can see a police officer and all of a sudden be engaged in a non-confrontational way, uh, perhaps a presentation in a classroom, perhaps a hello in the hallway, um, it sends a, a, a very different message than what they're used to. Mm-hmm. And we all know that young people are very social, whether it be social media or uh, among their friends. It gets out very quickly what type of person that uniformed officer is. And if people are saying, hey, you can trust him or her, they're a decent person, it starts to change perspectives. Mm-hmm. Um, so as I said, we work with administrators. We, we address issues that arise in the school. We try to educate. Um, you know, I'll give you an example. We did a... We had a, a member in a school identified that uh, consent was an issue in, in regards to relationships and um, realized that this was a concern among his, his, his school, uh, proceeded to conduct presentations to the entire school. I think he, he hit 95% of the school population. And as a result, um, turned around and had multiple conversations with people afterwards as they either had questions or in some cases there were disclosures that led to, of course, led to some investigations because people were victimized. Um, But what it does is it, it opens up those that might be afraid to come forward to go, Hmm, constable just spoke in my classroom. I have some questions. Mm -hmm. I I think I'm going to go talk to him or her. And so it really breaks down those barriers. And then of course our members are engaged in multiple activities, field trips, classroom presentations, as I've stated, often mentoring or coaching. Mm-hmm. So that can be a team, it could be a club, it could be music. And so the purpose is, is for the members of the public, in this, in this particular case, the young people, to see police in a different role, to see the person behind the uniform. Mm-hmm. Our uniforms can be intimidating, there's no doubt. But each one of us has a life behind a uniform. And it opens up that opportunity for these young people to see that, hey, they did this when they were young. I do that. Yeah. Well, we have a lot in common. Yeah. Right? I mean, we all have chosen jobs. Just because we carry a gun doesn't make us bad people. Well, I think right? a lot of people just, they, you know, whether you watch movies or you see, uh, well, now it'd be like social media and you just catch all these little clips of cops. Uh, people don't know how to interact with somebody in a position of authority. Mm-hmm. 
and it's different than like a teacher or your parents in a position of authority because we have some rules that we have to go by. And yeah, I think uh, it's good to have that face-to-face interaction. Like I know working with, so I'm on the gang suppression team and we deal with everyone from street gangs to organized crime. But there are some young people in mm-hmm. these groups. We've got 17-year-olds out pulling the trigger on people. We've got um, even younger than that selling drugs. And it's uh, when you can have a good interaction with them, you can see, almost see it on the spot in their face. Like they go, oh, wow. Like I didn't, I didn't expect that, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's not just... It's not just the man coming down and with the billy club and yeah. it's not just the government coming down to crack down on you. It's like everybody is known people who've done bad things at some point. A lot of people have family members who've been involved in things that are bad um, or criminality. So yeah, I think uh, the the interactions are uh, probably the biggest thing that you, you know, you get that immediate impression on somebody. It's, it's very valuable mm-hmm. and lasting. Yeah. And you know what? When we interact with the youth and we get to know them, especially those that are in, in maybe at more risk in their behaviors, um, you know what? We have the ability to utilize our knowledge of the resources that are out there. And so we can work with the resources that are designed to assist young people in getting them off a pathway and perhaps getting them uh, the assistance that they need, depending on what their needs are, because everybody's unique. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe it's supports. Maybe it's like big brothers, big sisters. Maybe it's a after-school program or something that assists them with some of that idle time. Because yeah. in some cases, they have idle time, and that's when they tend to get into trouble. Um, you know what? The other thing is is to use our position to assess what the kids need, right? I mean... We wear many hats as police officers. And when you're in a school, if you can build that rapport, and our members do that very successfully, it provides the young people with an opportunity to have a conversation with somebody other than the school counselor, other than maybe their teacher. Um, you know, Maybe they don't want to have that conversation with their parents. And they're looking for some real-life experience uh, information that each of the officers has gained, not only because... They've lived certain things, mm-hmm. but more than likely, they're not going to get too surprised in what they encounter because they, they're all experienced police officers. Well, and uh, speaking on the life experience, and I've mentioned this on some previous podcasts, but uh, a lot of the time, by the time somebody deals with a police officer for something bad, whether it's criminal or whatever it might be, um, a lot of systems, a lot of uh, levels uh, of things in your life have failed you before you get to dealing with the police officer. So you have your own family structure, you've got the school, all these other people trying to instill values or, or good character into you. And then if, if the police officer, the, if you want the first interaction with them to be when they catch you doing something bad, um, you know, then yeah, expect that people are only going to see them in one light. So maybe getting to these kids ahead of time and saying like, hey, if you don't course correct, like yeah, things are going to turn out real bad for you. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe having that come from a police officer is is a benefit. I did have a gang reporter, uh, Kim Bolin. She was on here before and she talked about having 
uh, a program that maybe doesn't involve police um, because they're seen in a certain light, um, but maybe having the gang members themselves or people really involved in the criminal aspect uh, of life and having them in the school to not like in the school, yeah. but come in and do a presentation and say like, you know, I was part of this and I was doing the things you're doing or just a, a general uh, group of kids. I thought that was pretty interesting. And I've seen, um, there's a gang sergeant from Vancouver who actually does a presentation with one of the guys he used to police who was heavily involved in one of these organized crime groups. And they do actually a pretty good presentation together. I thought there was some merit to that. But I still see, I could see the need for a police officer to be there. And the interaction with the kids is, is uh, very valuable. So... Yeah, youth integrated services section. That's kind of basically the SROs and our uh, community assertive uh, services teams, which are uh, a team of members who deal with um, youth experiencing mental health or addiction issues. That's under my section. The youth services section, which is um, overseen by Michelle Filion, they're dealing with 180. So um, your mid-risk youth your Y50, your high-risk youth. Uh, they're currently dealing with um, missing youth. And uh, then you have Diversion First. And Diversion First is a, is a program that's available to all members, but widely used by SROs where you have a young person who might be uh, might have committed a minor offense, can be criminal, can be provincial statute. And you know, in conversation with them, you, hey, they might qualify for some life skills or whatever. And so they work with uh, big brothers, big sisters in the YMCA. And the success rate of the young people that go in there is fantastic. So uh, Michelle's area deals with that, but they're also doing just that. They're looking at people who have a lived experience of uh, criminal activity coming in and being mentors because mm -hmm. they've changed their life around, right? They've, uh, they've seen, you know what, this is not a life that I think anybody would want. And so there is opportunity to do that both um, within aspects of our youth policing and our uh, young people strategy, as well as through our uh, partner uh, community partners. Mm -hmm. So it is something that is being explored and it has to be the right situation, has to be the right person, obviously. And so there's some work in that area already occurring. So, um, so maybe we'll get into some of the discussion that has come up around SROs and whether they have any business being in the schools or not. Mm -hmm. And one of the, uh, uh, I have here in front of me, the executive summary from the criminal trial lawyers association and, um, some of the evaluation that was done. So there was a study done by three different academics, uh, and they came out with some, um, not, they weren't making decisions on whether this program is a benefit or not. They were just kind of gathering general input. Uh, this is a really dumbed down version of how I'm saying it, but they're a generalized input of how people viewed the program. And within that, I thought um, something you were just saying recently here was, you know, there's, there's a million different options that police have for engaging with these youth, whether it's uh, sending them to other programs uh, or not before it even gets to the criminal aspect. Mm -hmm. But my 
my view of how this summary was broken down by the lawyers association was they almost tend to make it sound like we first go to placing cuffs on somebody rather than you know this dozen other options and even just talking to the kids beforehand um there's so many other steps that come before the criminal aspect of things mm-hmm. so what's kind of your comments on that 100% and maybe the best way uh, story comes to mind so as i said i was uh at a large high school for 3 plus years and i went back to patrol and i remember we got a call my partner and i we were assisting with uh a weapons complaint. Uh, vehicle was pulled over. It was believed to have handguns in it. It was a big SUV. I think there was like 10 people inside. And so we roll up to the location. We're third or fourth car off. Members have uh, occupants lined up against the side of a building uh, that have been uh, searched. And so they're, they're outside. They're still dealing with other members are still dealing with the car and whoever's still inside. And as we roll up, we can hear the occupants um, making a ton of noise, lots of yelling, pigs, you know, all mm-hmm. the, the normal complimentary statements that are often made. And as I got out of my vehicle, as we pulled up, I recognized a few of these young people and these young men uh, from my school when I was an SRO. And as I got out of the video, uh, vehicle, all I heard is, shut up, it's Roz, that's enough. Mm-hmm. And it stopped instantly. And... Um, engaged, you know, spoke to the one young person and he informed me there were no handguns. They were goofing around, whatever. Matter gets resolved. And uh, my partner who was, uh, I don't think it was my recruit. I think he was just done. Anyways, doesn't matter. He says to me, he goes, what the heck was that? He goes, what did you do? Mm-hmm. Because everybody just kind of stopped and looked in my direction because it went from being a volatile situation to one of, calm mm-hmm. this is nothing i did today it's what i did with three years with that individual and his buddies and what it was is daily interaction with these group of individuals it wasn't just them it was a number of them and they knew where the line was mm-hmm. you established that line in the sand that said you're good up till this point after that there'll be consequences and it wasn't handcuffs mm-hmm. it was that's not appropriate and i established a rapport with this individual and the group some of the group that was there and it wasn't just a uniform they were dealing with it was a person right and so to think that all we do is throw handcuffs on people is quite narrow-minded there was research that came out uh just prior to the catholic school division releasing their research and you're right it talks largely about perceptions the data is not good uh the data that was used in all of these research programs was um, internally purposed. Mm-hmm. It was designed for the SRO unit to track what their members were doing, to have a record of how they were using their time, uh, what type of events they were dealing with. So yeah, we did have the number of criminal charges that were laid. And to give you an example, in 2016, the original data that was sent showed, I'm just going to look at my notes here, 856 criminal charges in 21 schools over the course of 10 months. Mm-hmm. Um, the person that had released this information uh, reached out and said, is this accurate? And we went back and looked through it 
And what we had found is at the time we were recording charges. So if you had, let's say you had somebody who assaulted somebody, uh, that would be one charge mm -hmm. potentially. So let's say you arrested him for assault, section 266 of the criminal code. And what we found was, is that some of our members had entered instead of one, they entered 266. So they entered the charge section rather than the number of charges. And so what happens when we went back, we looked at our data and when we identified it, we had to go through all 21 reports over the 10 months. Uh, we determined that there were 91 charges out of 2,257 occurrences for that year mm -hmm. in 21 schools. So when you look at that, that's a very small number of charges that are laid. What it, what we were hoping to do is provide better data moving forward. We're mm -hmm. working on that right now, but we want to show that when something happens, we're not putting handcuffs on people. We're establishing a relationship with that person at some point, and maybe even that's maybe that's our first contact with them. But this it's, is, it's no different than uh, even the use of force. Yes, in the stats around that. And, you know, less than 1% of uh, the millions of interactions a day out on the street mm -hmm. result in a use of force. And who knows how they're classifying the use of force. It could be uh, just simply putting your hands on somebody. Oh, that, that's a use of force. Like, yeah, okay, let's get real. And yep. then um, one of the lines that I thought was pretty interesting, and it fits right here, is uh, it says the, the author's state... So this is from that executive summary I'm talking about, and I'll put a link uh, to this in the podcast episode after. Uh, it says the authors state, there is no evidence that the SRO programs make schools safer. This is in contrast with the clear evidence that SRO programs increase arrests and criminal charges against children at school, uh, a process commonly referred to as the school to prison pipeline. We'll get into that term in a second, but I just thought this was interesting. It's like, well... Okay, if I have a school and no cops, yeah, no no arrests are made. Hmm. If I put a cop there, like, and they see something criminal, then an arrest is made. Mm -hmm. Well, duh, <laughs> no yeah. kidding. And so, should we just let people go and be victims of crime, and then, you know, are we're we're losing sight of who the the victim is, and then we're worried about the middle person who's getting arrested um, when all this good work is being done to, to interact with them, have a positive uh, impact on them from the police side of things. Um, I just think some of the statements were actually sensationalized. Oh, for sure. And you know what? I'll, I'll take an excerpt from the um, Evans Catholic School District research. And it's, they speak to this because in, in 2011, a follow-up evaluation was done of uh, Toronto schools. And I'll just read it verbatim. A 2011 follow-up evaluation notes that the total number of specific serious offenses, weapons offenses, assault causing bodily harm, aggravated assaults, and robberies decreased between 2007-2008 and 2010-2011 period. There was a notable decrease in weapons-related offenses in particular and an increase in student willingness to report a crime to police. Given the findings, it was concluded the program was successful. We talk about uniforms. In the study, there was lots of recommendations around whether or not the members should be in uniform. Anybody who's been in uniform, who's walked a beat, 
has gone out of their car to look for something. Your very presence deters crime and mm -hmm. disorder. And um, the wearing of our uniforms in their full capacity, firearms, tasers, is a non-negotiable uh, perspective from both our, our, our school divisions that we deal with. Our sergeant talks about this uh, all the time too. It's about social control yep. and how you appear uh, has an impact immediately on a large portion of the people uh, uh, that are out there. And as soon as they see you, like you could have a hundred people about to do a ride, then they see the uniform show up and now you're down to 50. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's, there is, a, it, it has a huge play in the whole scheme of things. And, and it's not to be oppressive, but it's to make sure people know like, okay, there's somebody here who will hold me accountable for my actions. Again, it's that person's actions that we respond to. Um, so we're kind of losing sight of that as well when we do these arguments with, uh, that are getting made by all these other people. I like, I like the analogy. Someone asked me one time, what's the first thing you do when you notice a police car behind you as a police officer in your own personal vehicle? I even start driving properly. <laughs> yeah, you look at your speedometer. <laughs> yeah. Right? And so we are socially programmed and, and, that, and we're police officers, mm -hmm. right? The first thing you do is, am I following the speed limit? So if we're the ones you know, maintaining the laws and enforcing the laws, and we do that, then it's only ex uh, expected that the public would do the same, yeah, regardless of what they're doing. So, yeah, yeah it's, you know what, you could say that uh, reporting goes up. Well, sure it does. Because you got somebody you trust who is now immediately available, mm -hmm. right? And if, you know, no offense to patrol, but they're running all over the city, well, right? And if we look at like all these movements that have gone on like Me Too and, uh, some other ones, it's, you know, where we're encouraging people to report. Well, you know, some people honestly just won't report because of the distance they have to go to get to a police officer, or maybe they're embarrassed to put a phone call in and they're like, well, I got to talk to this person. And then it goes to another person. And who am I really going to get mm -hmm. uh, on the end of that line? But if I have a relationship with an SRO and some of the SROs I've talked to, they still get calls even once they're out of the school, yeah. people still have their personal number and we'll call them with general questions to reporting crimes or, or at least getting uh, direction on like, hey, who do I talk to about this? And then that person might get you, you know, uh, somebody instantly to deal with you and the right person to deal with you. You don't have to go through the whole yeah. rigmarole of everybody. So I can tell you, I left... Uh... I left my high school. I left the SRO unit in 2003 as a constable. To this day, as a matter of fact, a few months ago, I met somebody who was a student at my school. And I call it my school because you take ownership of it. You mm -hmm. take pride in owning what happens there. Uh, came forward and they were just like, Consti, Consti, Consti. And I mean, they all have nicknames, but Consti is often one that most of us got called. Yeah. Um, and they proceeded to share with me how I impacted them. And this, the one individual indicated that when they, um, when they were brought up, uh, I think they had immigrant parents, they did not like police. And, you know, this individual even said, you probably don't remember me. And honestly, I, 
I didn't. Mm -hmm. uh, but they indicated I wasn't a very nice person, but you always treated me well. You always treated me with respect, and you changed my opinion of police. That's huge. Yeah. And I did. And I'll be honest, I had no idea. Well, and, and the reason they didn't like police, though, wasn't because of their interactions with, you know, the police here. No. is because parents are telling them one thing. Maybe they saw some things wherever they're from. No. But again, it's like, well, you know, I think a lot of the these studies, they get done and it's the word perception or no. feelings is in there. Well, uh, we're talking to a bunch of 17 and younger kids. Uh, I don't know if their perceptions are always the most accurate and they lack a lot of life experience. And, you know, it, you can ask questions and I know this from taking marketing courses in university, you, you know, it, the way you ask the question and the words you use, um, you can elicit a certain, uh, answer. Mm -hmm. So the other thing too, is, I mean, with any study, you can look at this one statistic and two different people could read it two different ways. So yeah. um, I think you know, they'll get what they, they want out of it. But do you think, uh, so overall with these programs, are the, uh, I, I saw how this, it was broken down where they interviewed police, they in, yeah. then interviewed administrators, and then they interviewed students. And overall, the, the perception and, and, general feeling about all of this was that it was a good program and they they believed in it but what do you think like the the people who say they don't believe in it or or don't like it where are they coming from like what's their perceptions have you ever have you ever interacted with these people and asked them why i think you know what we're all we're all entitled to our opinion and you know what let's be honest some people have had a negative interaction with police. Mm -hmm. And so as a result, they don't like police. I think the difference is, is that there's a lot of vocalization behind mm -hmm. these groups. Just looking at the research, it, uh, just read something. Um, we hear that the perception was overly positive. And so you're right. It was administrators, staff, parents, students, um, and police that were interviewed. So they interviewed, or. Uh, the respondents, there was 5,577 student respondents. Of that, 2.4%, 136 students said they had a negative interaction with an SRO. Here's what negative interactions are. Concerns dismissed or downplayed by an SRO, harsh or aggressive language against the student, harsh or unfair punishment. The SRO is paying too much attention to popular students. So all perceptions, mm -hmm. no facts necessarily perhaps some lived experience for sure mm -hmm. but when you look at if i say a negative interaction that is a large mm -hmm. a large field and when you look at what they've used to describe a negative interaction um you know there's nothing in here that says you know there, there's one line that says harsh or unfair punishment but the other stuff could be you know just simply being dismissed or a perception of, well, they treated that person badly with very little knowledge of what actually happened. Well, and of the 136, if you think how many of those are a result of that person's behavior and whether or not you're super nice uh, through and through, mm -hmm. they're still going to say something bad about you because 
you held them accountable. Yep. So how many of the 136 are really uh, a person who didn't do something wrong, didn't deserve what happened, uh, didn't deserve the punishment or outcome that was uh, levied against them? Like it's, it's yeah, and you, you know what? Quickly they, get down to like nothing. <laughs> yeah, well, they don't break that down, and and that's mm-hmm. fair. But I think when you when you look at the percentage, right, two point four percent, right, that's a very small percentage mm-hmm. of people of of the number polled, you know. And then you go down to one point six percent of that group uh, did not support the continuation of the SRO program. So what is the majority saying, right? Um, Schools are a microcosm of society. They truly are. Most of our schools are little United Nations. They mm-hmm. are multicultural, uh, multi-ethnic, diversity like crazy. And that's awesome. And I, you know what? Our, our officers do an outstanding job of immersing themselves into the school culture and getting to know the various groups. Mm-hmm. Um, because whether you're dealing with one group or another, there are differences within that group. Some are culturally based, some are religiously based, some are ethnically based. How you deal with that gives you the skills and the abilities to do so effectively as well as uh, efficiently according to what we're sworn to do. And, you know, in in the critique that comes out of the CTLA um, and the other research that was done, they fail to recognize the degree of... Um, Oh, what's the word I'm looking for? The ability that we have to look at multiple, oh, discretion. Mm-hmm. The the degree of discretion that we're allowed as police officers. And I would suggest it, it's uh, exponentially increased as an SRO because I don't have to deal with, I might deal with a situation. Let's say it happened. Let's say it was an assault. I don't have to go track down the person that conducted the assault immediately because I know they're going to be at school tomorrow. Yeah. Or the day after. And you know what? If if you have done your job well, as I said, most of our SROs are excellent. They're going to have a rapport with that kid at some point. Mm-hmm. And so it's just simply, hey, I need to talk to you. Well, and right? it, yeah, I think um, that a lot of the time it doesn't get mentioned how a lot of these officers are from multiracial families. They have uh, spouses of different ethnic groups or racial groups, their kids are half, you know, it's, uh, it could be all white male SROs. Mm-hmm. Well, I bet you a quarter of them, I, I would put money on a quarter of them are going to have biracial families, multiracial families somewhere, but all, you know, the media just prints what they want to print to support the narrative. And they're not actually taken anything into account that like the the facts so yeah you know what i think that we're all members of this community right we all come from somewhere and you know what if if we're just basing people on what we see we know that we're not allowed to do that as police officers in the course of our duty right um but you're right if it doesn't prevent other people from making and passing those same judgments yeah um you know there were a number of recommendations that came out of this research. Um, some were able to already implement mm-hmm. and some were working on. Um, but as you know, in policing, we draw certain people into this line of work. 
And I know that there've been lots of comments around, we need to increase diversity. I think that's great. I, I welcome anybody, right? Uh, from any background as if they want to go into policing, I mm -hmm. think that's fantastic. But you can't fault um, the selection of SROs, for example, if they say, well, we need to have, you know, half need to be of, uh, you know, people of color mm -hmm. or whatever. You're drawn to policing first, and then you're drawn to what you want to do in that policing career. Yeah, um, yeah we can't just put no, people in there. No, and it's an argument that I think, you know what, we don't need to get into it, but you want the best people, regardless of their, you know, their color, their ethnicity, their culture, their religious beliefs. Mm -hmm. um, you just want the best people in there who are going to do a fantastic job. Well, and one of the things I think that was consistent throughout the executive summary was uh, the, even on the police side of things, was that if a person isn't a fit at a school or whatever the group may be, um, and, you know, get, get them out of there and get the right person in there. And I don't think that's ever been a question, uh, at least on the policing side of things, no matter what unit you work in, you, you want a person there that wants to be there. Uh, and then that will work good with the people. So, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I don't think that's ever been a question. So, yeah, it's an interesting point and it, it's one of the recommendations and it's, it's not one that's new, mm -hmm. right? Uh, we work, uh, we have a very unique relationship with the school partners that we work with. We are the only SRO organization, I think in North America that has a cost sharing 50-50 essentially over that 10 month period mm -hmm. for that officer. And so, yeah, you would expect that the school board would have a say. Mm -hmm. Now, the interesting thing is, is that we live in the province of Alberta and the Alberta labor laws dictate how you are able to remove somebody or when and, and what that looks like. But we have to pay attention to that. And you know what? We are looking at increased communication with our school partners. So this is the principles, um, you know, and it, and it all comes down to documentation, both good and bad. You know, if, if somebody is, is not working out well, then I would hope, and we're going to be sharing that with the principals is that please get a hold of the sergeants, document what's going on so that we can address it. You know, maybe the, maybe the officer doesn't know, hey, I, I didn't realize that was coming across that way. Or maybe somebody's not well-placed and that's okay. You know, we have a, a lot of diversity in what we can do mm -hmm. in policing. And if, you know what, if you're not cut out for it, whatever that may be, that's okay. It, mm -hmm. it, it's not the end of your career. You can go elsewhere. And so, yeah, we look for that feedback from the schools. Uh, we'll be reminding them of it. And this research and the recommendation specifically on the communication of the right fit, um, yeah, moving forward, once they're selected, for sure, we want that feedback. But we also have, when we do our selection process, um, during the interview process, we have principals in that interview process because the questions are geared around what does that person bring to the table that fits with that partnership? Mm -hmm. Working in a school, working along your education partners, understanding your authority and their authority and the level of communication that you're aware of at that point. And so they are a big part of the selection process mm -hmm. and the scoring of the applicants. So the communication piece is there. 
we always have the opportunity to improve. And you know what? Um, I think the research conducted by the criminologist really shows and highlights some of the things that we can work on. Some we knew, some are new, and that's okay. Yeah. Um, so one of the last things I want to get to, make sure we get to, is the the terminology mm. of the school to prison pipeline. And uh, I think it's a great headline. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a real sensational. Um, so obviously, I think we've covered a lot of the the ideas that might go into that. But can you kind of discuss where, do you know where that came from? Or was there like a specific incident that led to that being used? Or is that just them, the media or the lawyers saying, you know, um, because some some of the kids have been arrested for criminal stuff that now they we've put them on this uh, trajectory for a life of crime and, you know, kind of there's no turning back and we did that mm-hmm. to them. I don't know where it originated from. Mm-hmm. I know what the perception is, is that by having police in schools, and we touched on it earlier, you know, someone commits offense immediately handcuffed and they go off to court. Um, we know that isn't the case. Mm-hmm. That's just not the case when you deal with youth, period, in, in the criminal justice system. Um, you know, it's unfortunate that that was coined. I was actually disappointed to see it actually um, used in um, the Catholic School Div- uh, Division's research. It was mentioned in there. But it's a perception because when you look at, like I said, when you look at um, what we had in uh 2016 and some of our data, right? We had 856 criminal investigations, only 10% resulted in charges. Mm -hmm. And of those charges, not all of them went to court. Mm -hmm. So we have a number of diversionary programs that we utilize. So we have diversion first, which I kind of touched on earlier, but we have payoff, which is police assisted youth oriented formative fitness. Yeah, it's you a handful. that long acronym. Oh, former <laughs> SRO. Yeah. Um, but what it is, is people who engage in activities that are an offense. Maybe it's a minor criminal offense. Maybe it's um, parking tickets, beating tickets, stunting, whatever. Mm-hmm. Young people being young people. An opportunity for them to understand the consequences of their actions, but also to work it off. And so essentially it's boot camp. And so part of the requirement is, is if, if you're willing to do this, you're going to show up for whatever number of days that's prescribed by the SRO, and you're going to work out with the SRO. Um, huge success story. Uh, Constable Jason Lefebvre developed this way back when he was an SRO. And I remember as a sergeant, I think it was CBC did a story, and he had a young person that he uh, dealt with for an offense. And this young person went into the payoff program, came from a difficult background. Mom was doing her best to support her son and herself. I think there was only two of them, doesn't matter. He completed it, and then he completed the rest of the year in the payoff program. He just, he maintained it. He changed his life trajectory. Mm -hmm. And so it was a a highlight that was, uh, a success story that was highlighted. And so, you know, not every offense turns into a charge, Yeah. right? Um, and we want to be able to tell that story better with our data. 
we want to be able to look at, okay, if we had, so for example, in 2016, we had 58 occurrences of payoff. These are regular activities for a total of, well, 54 hours that our SRO is committed to it. But the point is, is if I look at that, I want to be able to go back and say, okay, well, how many of those were criminal charges that didn't go to charge? How many of those were provincial statutes, those, you know, traffic offenses, whatever the case may be. So we want to be able to tell that story. And when you are able to tell that story accurately with data, Mm -hmm. it supports the perceptions that are out there. And the CTLA has, you know, in some cases, they have a point. Mm -hmm. This is perceptions. Yeah, we know our data wasn't great, but we're working to make it better. And I think there's opportunities when these type of research is conducted or people critique us. Uh, we as in a, a police service, the Evan Police Service has done a good job of improving on what they do, mm-hmm. whether we like it or not. And that's exactly what I see this as. So we've got the Catholic uh, School Division. We've got uh, the Islamic Academy, strong supporters of our program, working with us to make it better. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. And I, I think you hit a good point there, uh, kind of leads to the idea of, you know, we have something in place and maybe it's not perfect, but you work on it and, and, you know, you have something at least to start from. You have some sort of foundation, uh, as opposed to the idea of just toss it all out mm-hmm. and we'll start from scratch. Well, everything's been there at some point. Everything started from nothing and look at where we are now. So. I think it's better to look at what we have, uh, be grateful for that, and then work on that and, you know, make the improvements that you can, uh, especially with the consultation from the organ, uh, the organization. So, um, yeah. Is there anything else you think, uh, we missed that we should get to in the conversation? I think we covered a lot of ground. I think it was pretty good. Yeah, you know what? I think it's going to be an interesting year for us, um, for the organization as far and and also for the unit. Um, the Edmonton Public School uh, Board has sanctioned the same researchers to do research within their school, uh, their school divisions, and so the anticipated date of the release of that information will be in November. I'd like to think optimistically that Mm -hmm. we will get invited back, but time will tell, you know, and you know what, regardless of if we are or we aren't, we have strong community partners that we work with presently. Um, You know, the opportunity to get better and to meet their needs as times change, as um, social opinions change, you know, at the end of the day, you can only ask that you're doing the right thing at the right time for the right reasons. Yeah. And you know, you might you're not going to make everybody happy, but yeah, that's policing. Mm-hmm. Right? We're here to protect those that need to be protected. We're here to hold people accountable. And I think that accountability piece you had mentioned earlier is key. Right? Some people just don't want to be held accountable and they don't like it. And so um our as, as I said before, our SROs do a fantastic job. Um you know, it's youth policing isn't for everybody. But for those that are in the schools, they're making connections that will change lives and they will have people who will maintain contact with them throughout their life, regardless of whether they turn their life around or if they still are struggling. 
And I have had experience with both individuals, both types of individuals um, throughout my career. And that's, that's almost going on 20 years. So, mm-hmm. you know what, there's, I can only speak for myself. The program is a success. Yeah. I mean, lots of experience, three different ranks in this dozen, dozens of years in it. Yep. So I think you got a lot of experience to, uh, give a good opinion on this. So, um, yeah, I guess we'll, we'll wrap it up there. I want to thank you for coming in and, um, maybe in November, once this next report comes out and we see the response to it, we might end up having you back in. Sounds good. So, all right, I'll stop the recording, but, uh, yeah, thank you. Thanks, Nathan.